0: Over the last um, few weeks, kind of since we've wrapped up John, we've been, uh, we've been engaging in, in a handful of uh, conversations called um, The Struggle is Real, and, uh, and so we've, we've touched on different topics that are things that, that as Christians, as people who come to church, that we really wrestle with, but that often don't get talked about or don't get talked about often. Um, and so almost as an act of discipline, reminding ourselves to be talking about these things and um, <coughs> we're not afraid of these things, <clears throat> and to engage with them. So, so we have a conversation um, that starts with like having a lack or a loss of of peace in our life, and and how we engage there, or or when we face conflict. <coughs> Sorry, especially with other believers, we face conflict, and um, and what do we do about that, and how do we deal with that? Also, when we. Um, when we need to engage in forgiving one another and ourselves? What does that look like? So as we've wrestled with these different challenges, including things like depression and, and anxiety and how we deal with the emotions that we have, well, that obviously is going to, eventually we get to the extreme part of these conversations that include something like suicide. And so we're going we're gonna to spend some time looking at that topic today and engaging with that biblically. Um, but but it's, a, it's one long conversation. So if you're just here and you just hear this talk today, I'm going to encourage you to, to make sure and go back and listen to some of the others and, or watch some of the others to engage in the whole conversation, not just a small piece of it, um, which I think is important. As Christians, we really actually do struggle all the time. We face all types of challenges, and it includes all of the challenges. There are none of them that are off the table just because we're followers of Jesus Christ. We face these, and that includes even kind of the most extreme expression, which people would often think of as things like suicide. Um, for Valentine's, to celebrate that, I took um, Ginger to Fort Worth um, as kind of a surprise. It's like I, I like surprising her with stuff, and I do that all the time, but to surprise her, and we went to go see a live uh, performance of the play Harvey. Have you ever seen Harvey, maybe the movie version? No. Okay, good. That's, that's just awesome. This is going to really play out well then. Um, so so quickly, um, if you haven't seen it, it's worthwhile, the story of our and that there's the old Jimmy Stewart version that is very much so worth watching. And, uh, but the, the main character, Elwood P. Dowd, um, we're introduced to him, and he... Sees and engages with uh, a six, six foot one and a half inch white rabbit that's invisible to pretty much everybody else, and so that the whole story is built around this and and his family trying to have him committed into an asylum and all that kind of stuff. And that um, doesn't sound like a funny movie, but it is. And so uh, you're, some of you are thinking like Donnie Darko. No, it's totally different than that. It's not like that at all. So. Um, it's a. It's there's a there's some lines in it though. It struck me the first time I saw it. What struck me as a minister was how the whole movie really, or the whole play really, is what what it should look like to engage with Christians. In that, in that Elwood P. Dowd is constantly engaging with people, and what he wants to do as soon as possible is introduce them to his friend Harvey, and tell them about Harvey, and and make sure they know about Harvey and how what Harvey has meant in his life and how all this type of things. There's a great line. Um, From the play and the movie, it goes like this. They tell us the big, terrible things they've done and the big, wonderful things they'll do, their hopes and their regrets, their loves and their hates, all very large, because nobody ever brings anything small into a bar. And then I introduce them to Harvey, and he's bigger and grander than anything they offer me, and when they leave, they leave impressed. Now, even as a youth minister and, and the couple that we went with, um, the young lady, uh, she was in Ginger's Bible study group when the young lady was a ninth grader. She's now married, has three kids, and um, all many, many, many years ago. And the lead woman in the play was also, which was a big surprise to Ginger, was also in Ginger's Bible study 20-something years ago. And she had no idea. We get there, she's going through the program, but she's like, you anyway, know, so it was, it was really fun at a lot of levels. But I taught those two girls who were in the youth group when I saw this the first time, and I put this up on a screen. It was an overhead screen. Um, And I took the words Harvey out, and I took the word "bar" out, and I put in the word church, and I put in the word Jesus and said, um, because no one ever brings anything small into a church. And that's why we're teaching this. That's why we're having these conversations is people don't bring small things. You have big stuff on your plate today. You have big things on your heart. And some of them may be tough. When we come to church, we admit we need help. We may not all be at the same level of despair or disappointment or discouragement or anger or or grief or whatever, but at some point, most of us at least, are. We get there. A real expression of strong feelings, especially trapped feelings or the way we feel about these kind of things, we're all there sometimes, everybody is there sometimes, um, and Michael goes to a, a school in town called Bridgemark, which is for kids that, face, that have to engage with special educational challenges, and, uh, and they have a shirt they wear on Fridays that says something like, I'm not quoting exactly, that says, um, everybody is facing something hard, don't make it worse. I think that'd be a great thing for all of us to engage with, even at church, but, but especially at When we engage in the world, recognize the person who's serving us or who's checking us out, who is who's engaging with us in some way in the community, they may be facing something really, really hard. Don't, don't make it worse. In fact, what would be really cool would be to you know, be salt and light and engage in a way that may even help. <clears throat> but that's, that's about them. This is about us. The topic of suicide and suicidal thoughts often oversimplified. Uh, especially us as Christians have a kind of a reputation for doing that. Everybody does it, but I think we're kind of famous for it. I don't know if we actually do, but that's the, that's the perspective. We quickly jump to this idea that, that people who, um, who are suicidal are selfish, short-sighted, or simply lack faith. Um, those may be true, and certainly are sometimes. But I don't think it's as simple as that. Mental illness of all kinds are often the root of these feelings. PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, OCD, schizophrenia, of course, depression, just to name a few. Often the victim of them can hide or minimize these symptoms or this disorder for decades, and we don't see it until it's too late sometimes to help very well. And like so many other topics that we engage with, I don't think God's Word supports a simplistic understanding of suicide. So, for example, let me give you an example. Have you ever considered the concept of noble suicide? You may think you haven't, but you have, whether you know it or not. It's, it's a common thing in our um, literature. It's common in our media. So just, a, I mean, there's thousands of examples, but a quick few that you, would, you could engage with the idea of, of a noble suicide, someone who gives their life. Another one? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Or this one? Right? Spoilers. Wait, hold on on that one. Yeah, spoilers on that last one. So the, um, we, we have this concept. It is, it is all through our, it is common in movies and books that there are people who, who sacrifice their life, which is a form of suicide, but it's a, it's a noble form. So already you would go, okay, that, I don't, maybe I've never thought about that before. There is this side of this that we go, okay, maybe I'm not thinking broadly enough about this. I'm thinking too simplistically about this. Um, in real life, now you can show the next one. This is, this is Michael Monsoor who uh, in, in, on September 29th of 2006 is a Navy SEAL who wrapped his own body around a grenade to save his friends and other soldiers and civilians who were nearby. No one goes selfish, short-sighted, right? We don't jump to that. And, and we shouldn't be so quick to do that under any circumstances. This is a, human beings are complex creatures, as we talked about. We, so, we always want to divide it out real neatly. Oh, you've got the body, and you've got the soul, and you've got the spirit, and you've got the emotions, and you've got the relationships. And we want to divide those out, and that's not wise, and it's not how it works. Well, it's not how human beings work. He was given the Medal of Honor by George W. Bush, uh, posthumously, obviously. Um, suicide is complicated, and so, of course, the reality of suicide in Scripture is also complicated. There's numerous suicides in Scripture. Maybe you've caught them, maybe not. Everyone jumps to Judas, but even Judas's motivations are unknown. They're, even his motivations for committing suicide are complex. In, in the Jewish world, he's often seen as being f- so filled with regret and remorse that this is a way for him to essentially show God his level of repentance and remorsefulness. I don't, I don't know if that's it or not. Or is it he's so hassled and harassed by the demons in his life? I don't know. We don't know. But he's the suicide most of us know about in the Bible. Many of us forget about King Saul and his armor-bearer, both of whom commit suicide. There's three, um, three significant political leaders and prophets, Ahithophel, Abimelech, Zimri, who for various reasons end up taking their own life, shame, maybe pride, vanity even. And then, of course, we have what one author, referred to who, one author referred to as the first suicide bomber, Samson, who took his own life in order to destroy the lives of thousands of his enemies. What are, his, are, what are the motivations there? See, it's, it's not something that we can just so quickly go, oh, this. And as Christians, our, our best bet is to actually engage and understand it. Now, <clears throat> the, the inappropriate version of suicide, the, tr- the most tragic forms typically, and some of you know this, typically funnel themselves down to, the, to where the person comes to believe there's only two choices for them. There's only two choices. One is a long, slow, painful life slash death, and the other is a relatively short, quick death. That becomes the, the, the ideas that they're trapped in. And that can, by the way, actually happen in reality. Saul's King Saul and the shield bearer, maybe an armor bearer, may be an example of that. Where the, do I, we, we've been defeated, I'm wounded, do I wait for the enemy to come get me and torture me, or do I take my own life now before they get to me? And, and so when we're actually in that situation, like people trapped on the top of the World Trade Center, when you actually have those, only those two choices, it's not an irrational choice to want to end things quickly. Where the lies, or the mental illness trap us, is into believing that there's only two choices when there really are still thousands. When there's still hundreds and, and, and thousands of different options we could take, but because of our isolation or our despair or the mental illness or the ruminating thoughts or the intrusive thoughts, we get to a place where we believe there's only two choices. But, but Scripture tells us it's, it's bigger than that. A lot of people felt this. There's a lot of people in Scripture who feel these feelings. Think about Solomon, a jailer at the end of an earthquake when he thinks all his prisoners have escaped. Job, Elijah, Jeremiah, Jonah, all have suicidal levels of thoughts and verbalize them in Scripture. And those are the ones who don't take their lives. I think I could argue that the Apostle Paul wrestled with suicidal thoughts. The, well, ironically, Philippians, the letter of joy. In the middle of the letter of joy, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. Now again, you're, you're, at the surface level, you may go, well, that's all positive. But I want you to listen. To, put on your therapist hat and listen to, what, listen to what Paul writes here in Philippians 1, verses 19 through 24. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Do you hear it? I hear that. And of course, King David isn't very subtle. David talks about these feelings all the time in the Psalms. In the 142nd Psalm, which a couple of years ago when we taught through suicide, I just did an explanation of the 142nd Psalm. And it's different than today's sermon, although they overlap. <clears throat> you can go engage with that one as well. 142nd Psalm, verse 3 says, When my spirit faints within me. Been there? You've been overwhelmed? Like you can't carry the load anymore? You know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. That's not even... It's not even just, I feel trapped. It is, I am trapped. I don't know what to do. Whichever choice I make, it doesn't seem safe. Every path I look at, they've gone before me and set up traps. Verse 4, look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. He feels isolated, alone. No one cares. Do you know that at this time in his life, David has somewhere between four and 6,000 people who are risking their lives To be with David. And how does David feel in the midst of this? No one cares about me. He feels isolated and alone. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. You ever feel that? Man, people want stuff from you. They want skill. They want money. They want sex. They want performance. They want something from you. But do they care about your soul? Man, it's easy to feel like no one cares about our soul. It's easy for us to feel unknown by people. And by the way, one of the things for us to remember as we look at this is how we can engage in making sure other people, our spouses, our children, our neighbors, our friends, that they do feel known to the degree it's up to us. For us to be the keepers of the the souls that God has entrusted us with. People are concerned about what they can get from me, but maybe they're not that concerned about me. That's often how we feel. Verse 5, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. This, this is a place that any of us can reach is this point. But here's the thing. There is a foundation here. There is, there is a lip on the, on the rim of the cliff that we can hold on to. There are times when it seems and maybe it is that the only reason for staying here on this earth in this temporal existence is God. And when we get there, that's okay. It can be that way. We don't want to stay there, but we get there. And I think David was there no matter what else happens. So, so in this, what is our role? Like when we're engaging with people around us, when other people around us don't feel known or they feel isolated or they feel alone or they feel suicidal, there are ways that we can help. There's kind of a fundamental basic that I really like. Back to that story of the jailer. So Paul and Silas are in prison with a bunch of other people. There's an earthquake. Um, and the implication really is almost that there's an earthquake intended to set them free. There's an earthquake and, and the jailer hears, hears the earthquake. All the lights go out. Um, the, I guess the fires, the candles, the oil lamps, all that kind of stuff go out. And the, 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 the guard assumes everyone's running for the hills. But Paul and Silas don't run, and they don't let anybody else run. And, and so here's what you get. Now, this is, this is not God teaching us how to engage with someone who's suicidal. Like in, this isn't a psychology class. But this isn't bad. Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. That's not a bad line. When we do have friends who are struggling, when we do have friends who are facing this, it, it, there's not going to be some easy solution. There's not going to be some easy answer. There's not going to be some quick thing. But a great first one is, we're here. Hey, don't, don't panic. Don't respond too quickly. We're here. We haven't left you. We're really here. That can sometimes help someone who's trapped in that I only have two choices mentality to realize, oh wait, there's a third choice and a fourth choice and a fifth choice. There's more choices there than just these two because there's people there who really do love me. I do love this. He says, it keeps going. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembled with fear. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Don't you love that the jailer already knows the terminology? Have you ever thought about that? Paul spends a lot of time in prison. But you think if you're chained to Paul, it feels like he's the one in prison? I think if you're in a, stuck in a room with the Apostle Paul, who do you think feels like the prisoner? I think he sees a, a, a prison guard as nothing but an audience who can't escape him. And so he's clearly, he's already proselytized for however many hours with this, with this guard He's already told him the gospel. He's already told him what it means to be saved. He's already told him all this type of stuff. Everything falls down and finally the guard goes, okay, okay, what do I need to do to be saved? Like I'm, I'm ready now, right? He already knows the language. And they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. By the way, there's the gospel. In the midst of suicide, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved more about that in a second. We're here. Don't give up. Don't buy the lie. Risk with us. Life is a risk. Life is is a lot of pain and grief and emotional trauma and challenges. Humans can be pretty awful to one another. It's, it's, It's fascinating to live in a culture that has some level of gentility in it because this is the exception, not the rule in human history, and that right now we get to have a certain amount of personal freedom and personal safety is, is a rarity, not, not the norm. And so it can be a pretty awful place. And, and we're saying, you know what, risk with us. We'll risk with you. What does it take? How do we join you? And, and by the way, and we'll fail you. So if you look to other humans alone to say, okay, you'll, you can support me. You can keep me alive. You can, you can support me in the midst of my despair. No, they can't. I mean, they'll try, and we all try, and we try to do that for one another, but even then we get distracted, and we get caught up in our own traumas, because you're asking a whole bunch of traumatized people to help one another, right? A whole bunch of weak people to hold each other up. That's not always going to work out very well. That's why we need something even greater than that. We deal with our own emotions and grief and pain, Don't buy the lie. And by the way, all too often, it isn't sufficient, even when we do engage, to rescue someone who we love from their mental illness or from their despair or from their whatever is going on, from the lies that they're believing. Sometimes, no matter what we do, it's not enough. And that that can happen. In which case, then we get to deal with our own emotions and our own grief and our own pain and seek out forgiveness for ourselves and the one who has left us <clears throat> and that's not always easy either, but, but we all deal with this at one level or another. We come alongside, we make the connection, we risk. Um, each of our children um, so far, um, at least down through Michael, have picked up on this tension that's in the Christian faith that we tell kids about this awesome complete place where we get to go someday and it is complete and we get to be complete in this place. And each one of my children, as they've learned about this, this heaven, this new Jerusalem, this existence, that, that, that when the flesh is done and, and we're no longer afraid and we're no longer in pain and, and everything is fulfilled and completed, each one of my children has said, can I go now? Like, what do I need to do to go now? Well, you don't go until, you're, until you die, okay? So what do I need to do to die then? Well, that's a natural Right, healthy, and by the way, theologically very sound question to ask. It's the tension Christians have dealt with all along. So then, what is it that makes suicide bad? If this, if we're talking about the way we're talking about, then what is it that makes it bad? What is it that could make it even sin? Because it can be, for sure, sin. Well, one, life is sacred. And I am not mean sacred. That's not a political term. Sacred means something. It means holy. It means set apart. It means for the usage of God himself. It's not our prerogative. We don't have the authority over that. Um, Don was telling me um, in in his work with some hospice stuff that having a guy tell him, the doctor told me I have two weeks left. And Don telling him, like, well, it's a good thing he's not in charge of that then. I mean, yeah, maybe. That may be the possibility. You may not make it two weeks. We could have a meteor fall out of the sky right now, right? We don't, we don't know what, what that looks like. He lived three and a half months, by the way, and got to live three and a half months not in fear because he had someone like Don coming alongside going, well, what do you know? Let's experience what you've got left in joy. There's, there's something in this. Life is sacred. We don't get to choose our own point of death. That's not for us. And it is God's prerogative. Genesis 9 tells us that because we're created in His image, that's, it's His choice. Now, some of you may be under the impression you may have been taught that reason number three that you shouldn't commit suicide is that it's a one-way ticket straight to hell. And that's even taught sometimes in the Baptist world. I'm not sure why, but it's sometimes taught. So let's remind ourselves of the gospel again. What saves me from damnation and condemnation isn't what I, isn't, it has nothing to do with the last thing I do on earth. It has to do with the right relationship with Jesus Christ, which, of course, I guess could be the last thing you do on earth. But it has to do with having a right relationship with Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who saves us. It is He who took all of our sins. And even if someone's suicide was sin, that would be a sin that Jesus bore on the cross and drank the cup of God's wrath for it. If, if, you, if when you die, if when you face judgment, if you are condemned in your sin, it is only because you refuse to accept the free gift of God's adoption of your soul forever. It's only because of that. It, it would have nothing to do with if you took your own life or not. Here's part of why that's important. Any of us could get there. I mean, the right damage to our brains, the right conditions in our life, None of us transcend that possibility. I mean, it's, isn't it one of the scariest things? I don't know about you, but one of the scariest things for me is, is the thought of a lot of people as we get older, either through Alzheimer's or something else, you're able to trust your brain less and less as you get older. Could anyone get to that point? I, I, I submit anyone could. And by the way, it could be that the only reason you're somehow suicide-proof is because you're too prideful and narcissistic to take your own life. That doesn't give you an advantage in the afterlife, right? That's not somehow going to save you. Instead, only Jesus can do that. What matters is whether you have called upon the name of the Lord because that's how you're saved. And by the way, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's a done deal. It's paid for. That's the gospel here. We're all frail. We don't all share exactly the same thing, but we're all frail. So a couple of words of advice And and I'm just going to give these quickly. You could find these all throughout Scripture over and over again. Generalized, living the disciples' life is a way to help protect us from things like despair and depression and suicide. The disciples' life has been shown over and over again to help deal with some of these emotions. Not a cure, but to help us manage being frail, broken human beings. So one, get the negative and by negative, I mean despair and rage messages out of your life. If they're in your heart, get, your, get the help to deal with them. The desire for revenge, to harm others, to harm yourself. We need to deal with those. If you're listening to things, or watching things, or engaging with things, and you're someone who has these emotions and are affected by these, by the depths of these despair and this rage, then don't feed that more. You need to walk away from that. Some people can handle that and some people can't. You need to know yourself well enough to know what it is. You need to forgive and seek forgiveness. That's important. Those things, the lack of forgiveness and being forgiven can cripple us and drive us into the dirt in regards to despair, regret, remorse. It's why the wasteful kind of death is what is always so sad to us. We don't feel the same way about that noble suicide concept because, because that seems like a death well-lived or well-taken. That's, that's how we engage with this conversation. But the truth is death is an enemy. And Jesus has conquered that enemy as we sang about. Now the enemy is still with us, but its power is largely gone. We don't have to fear death like we would have before. We Instead, we get to walk in life and, and the abundant kind of life. Because we can, because we can risk, because we can swallow our pride, because we, can, because we can seek whatever it is, we can do things like get help. If we're dealing with that, we can get medical help, we can get counseling help, we can get friend help. The idea that Christians somehow, are, because we're so holy or because we're so filled with faith, would never need the help of, of a doctor in regards to something that was psychological is just goofy in my mind. I can't find that defended scripturally anywhere. Of course, we're frail creatures. Of course, we need help. And of course, we go to one another um, and and engage with that. You've heard me talk about that plenty of times. If that's you, get help. If you're there, if you're in those from one to 100 and 100 is taking your own life, if you're somewhere between 80 and 100, ask for help. Reach out. There's lots of options. Pick one and talk with somebody about it. Make the healthy decisions, work and eat and sleep and exercise, all impact our mood. Learn to speak the truth to others about what you're experiencing, to yourself and to others. Live in a community. Again, these are things all natural for the disciple. The person living the Christ-following life does all these things as part of their life. Live in community. Live in service to God and others. Every research shows that that helps. Pray. Write down your prayers. Learn to be thankful in your prayers. This is Listen to what... Uh, David says in Psalm 34, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This feels like their voice of experience to me. This is someone who has been brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, and he knows, he knows perfectly well God is near because he's experienced that. Get to know Jesus. He's the lover of your soul now and forever. Put your faith in him. Accept his purpose and passion in your life the abundant life he has for you. That doesn't mean it won't be hard. It doesn't mean it won't hurt. It doesn't mean it won't be painful and that you won't grieve. It will be all those things, and it can still be the abundant life. This is the gospel. I think often our fears are what lead us into this, and our fears are what keep us from talking about it, and our fears are what keep us from engaging with people, specifically the fear of failure. So before we step off into the fear of failure, is kind of the next segue through this the struggle is real conversation. Is there anything I left out in this conversation about suicide that needs to be commented on? No? Okay. So why do we fail? I think I think there's some things we can engage with, and there are, there is failure we can avoid. One type of failure in particular that we can avoid. And that's... That's the failure of investing in the wrong place. I'm going to run through a bunch of verses here real quick to show you. This is a version of failure that we can protect ourselves from. Galatians 6, 7, and 9. Do not be deceived. 7 through 9. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that, will also, that one he will reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good. In due season, we will reap if we don't give up. So if you it is a failure automatically to invest in too much in the flesh. Proverbs twenty six eleven says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. That's gross and very clear. If you're not learning, then you're like a dog that returns to its vomit. You need to learn from these things. Listen to Psalm 119 71. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Some things we need to learn. We've got to learn from the decisions that we've made and learn from the mistakes that we make and and learn from the experiences that we have. Hopefully we do that. Matthew 6, 24 talks about being devoted to the right thing. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Later in that same passage, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Paul writes in first in his letters to the Corinthians, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It's important for us to recognize that to invest too much here is failure. It may not look like failure. People may go, wow, look at all the money he's got, or wow, look at all the success she has, or wow, look at all the but in the end, you're just being delusional. In the end, you're gonna die. This was one of Solomon's challenges in Ecclesiastes is going, I've accrued all this wealth and now I'm realizing I'm going to die and somebody else is going to squander it. Probably my children are going to squander all this that I've gotten. Somebody else is going to do something with it. Why have I spent my whole life doing this? What was I thinking? Uh, We go back and look it up. Tony Campolo a few years ago interviewed a bunch of people over the age of 95 and asked them if they could do life over again, what would they do differently? It's fascinating what they say. I bet you're not surprised to hear that none of them said, make more money. It's, it's a great thing for us to consider that already investing too much here is failure, and it's a failure we get to avoid. We get to avoid, we get to set up treasure in the way we invest in other people who are eternal, and the way we invest in God's Word, which is eternal, and the way we invest in our relationship with God, which is eternal. That's, those are things that will have great return on them. And of course... We can avoid the fall. One of the ways we can avoid the fall is by being humble. We know that pride precedes a fall. That's a, that's a failure maybe we can avoid is if we learn what it means to live more humbly. So with that in mind, the truth is there are ways as humans we can avoid certain types of failure, but the main reason we fail is because we're human. <clears throat> that's just what it means. So I'm going to wrap up on this thought. I went to, the, I went to Scripture and thought, you know it would be cool is if, is if I could find someone in the Bible who we really like, who we really admire, but who failed. And who, who failed pretty big. Not a big failure. Not just a little failure. So it's the two things I'm looking for someone we admire, someone we look to, someone we study, and yet they also failed. So when I went to the Bible, I found a few. One was Adam, Eve, Noah, Moses, Joshua. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of Jacob's sons, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, all the rest of the kings, all the prophets, Matthew, John, Mark, John and James, Peter, and the Apostle Paul. I don't think I left anybody out. It turns out that you, there's only a couple of people who don't have big failures in press in the Bible. Daniel's one of them. We'll talk about him in a few weeks. Um, But the truth is, as human beings, part of what it means to be human is to fail and to fail in the way that matters most. Let's close on Romans 3.23 today, Dwayne. This is the way that matters most when it comes to failure. Have you failed to live up to the character of Almighty God? And the answer is, yes, you have. And yes, I have. We have all failed and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we are failures. It's why we need a Savior. It's wild to me that we still fear failure. We're not used to it yet. You, know, you not get that yet? I mean, I got to where in high school and college, I was no longer afraid to ask girls out because they were going to say no. And I, I was like, what's the big deal, right? I mean, my friends actually began to respect that down the road. They were like, how do you ask so many girls out? I'm like, why wouldn't I? What are they going to do, say no? Yes? Right. Since I know failure is inevitable, why not try, right? This is a, how do you think I ended up marrying someone like, like Ginger, right? Lots of no's before I get a yes. That's a. This is a, it's a normal part of human experience. We fail. And so as we learn to engage with this as a community, to engage with failure, and the fear of failure, as we learn to move away from the fear of failure, that allows us to risk and to try and to learn and to grow We'll pick up there next time and talk some more about this, how we live as people who fail. How do we exist there and move forward from there? I'm not sure yet whether we'll end up getting to start Daniel the beginning of March or whether it'll be the second week in March. We'll see. It's going to be close. Um, but that's where we'll pick up next time. So let me pray for us and, and uh, <coughs> see what the Lord has for us today. Father, thank you so much for the power of your word in our life. And thank you that even topics like, like suicide which no one wants to talk about. God, we would just be happier if that wasn't a thing. And at the same time, Lord, you do marvelous and amazing and wonderful things in people's lives, even through that type of tragedy. But I pray that if there's anyone here who struggles with the feeling of their life having no purpose, of being trapped between a long, slow, painful death or a short, quick one, I pray that your spirit would speak to their soul today and help them reach out to speak the truth to somebody, to find help. God, even if by the world's standards we have failed and failed utterly and failed miserably, Lord, I pray that you will teach us to continue to invest in eternity so that that stuff at least is waiting for us. Lord, is anybody here who does not have the foundation of having called upon your name and been given the free gift of being adopted as your sons and daughters? Lord, I pray that you would help us to reach out and accept that free gift and to let other people know about it. Lord, I pray that even as we talk about a topic like suicide, which so many in this room have faced, maybe everyone in this room to some degree have faced the consequences or face the fears, or face the temptation, or face the even the efforts of suicide. Lord, I pray um, that you would comfort our souls and help us to find that um, forgiveness that we need to find in you. Thank you, Father, that you're the type of God who cares enough to engage in this stuff this way. Thank you that your word is so alive that it still speaks to us, even about the things we face every day. We thank you for this in the name of your Son, and according to your work of your Spirit and uh, course according to your perfect knowledge and will. Amen.